Well, good morning. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks for being, for joining us today for, for church, kids. Take care. We're going to have to tell all the fun stuff while you're gone. It's not true. They're going to all the fun stuff now. Um, hey, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Join, for, thank you for joining us. I have a pretty simple assignment this morning. Uh, we're starting a, a new short series about life together, and my assignment is to make you want to join a life group. Let's just get that out of the way right up front. That's, that's it. That's the deal. That's my assignment. I'm supposed to make you want to be part of a life group. Life groups are starting back up in August, and if you're not part of a life group, what's the deal? Let's, let's join a life group. Let's make that happen, okay? So that's my job. But more than that, I'm supposed to help you understand why having a deep and robust connection to Christian community is important and why it matters. So like the life group is like the, the end goal, but I'm, you're supposed to, I'm supposed to, and that should be easy for me, right? I mean, that's like the, it's like near the top of my job description, right? So like community connected, like I have all sorts of Bible verses and models and pictures and plans, like this should be just simple, should be simple. But you guys have heard people talk before. You know when I say it should be simple, you know what that means. I don't, I don't know if you've ever made, prepared a sermon or if you just wonder what it's like to make one, but it varies. For me, sometimes, sometimes I wake up and it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit just plugs it in and just downloads it. It's like, there it is. And all I have to do is keep up writing it down as it comes, sometimes. Sometimes it's very different than that. And this, this is one of those very different ones. Early on, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of nudged me towards a story, and that's a good sign. I thought, oh, we'll, we'll go to that story. And then, and then I read that story, and I thought, what's wrong with you, God? <laughs> that's not what I'm supposed to talk about. That's, that is a, that's a good story. It's in the Bible, but that's the wrong story. And the Holy Spirit said, read it again. And so I read it again, and this time I thought, seriously, God, are you broken? What's going on? Like that... Like those are, that's good, but that's not what, that's not about community and robust connect, that's not. So, you know, by then, tick, 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 you know, time's getting short. So I do what you do, I, I start to help, you know? So I go to look at some other Bible stories. So I start to read some other stories and I go back to some of my old sermons and I start to read those. I have old sermons, I don't know if you know that. Sometimes I use parts, I hope that doesn't offend you. Um, there's a million things I could say there, but I won't. Anyway, so I start to put some stuff together. Maybe I could talk about that and put the, maybe that over there as a thing. And so I started to put some together and it just, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't right. And it was like God leaned down and said, why don't you read it one more time? So I went back to the story that he told me to read. And this time when I read it, there was a, there was a bit that I just just didn't see the first time. And there was, a, there was a part that I understood a little bit differently and there were some details that just kind of changed the way the story went. And I thought, hmm, I hadn't seen that before. And so this morning, I just wanna kind of invite you on a little bit of a journey with me through a, a big, this is a different way that I usually and I usually talk to you, but we're just going to look at, we're going to look at the first three chapters of the book of Daniel. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it to you. Uh, but we're going to move really quickly through. And again, the first time I read this, I was like, I know what that story is about. And so, and so I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, yeah, you, you know the main point of the story, but look at this other part. So it's, it's a little weird, but I, I want to invite you to, to, to look through these chapters as we talk about why we need to do life together. So if you have your Bibles, Daniel, it's, it's near the middle. 
I should have figured that out at the time, but it's there, it's in the middle. Um, and the book of Daniel opens with the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the kingdom of Babylon has come and they've captured and there's a long history with the prophets and God warning his people that if they didn't repent from their idolatry and follow him, that they would be conquered. And Dan, in the beginning of Daniel, that's, that's what's happened. Uh, Babylon has come, King Nebuchadnezzar has come and conquered uh, the, the, the kingdom of of Judah and he sacked the city of Jerusalem and he has ordered some of the best and brightest of the young, the children of the, of the families to be taken back to Babylon with him. And this was a common tactic in ancient Near East empires. If you're thinking of starting an empire, this will be your bit for today. Uh, they would gather some of the best and brightest, the children of the ruling class, and they would take them back with them. And, and that did a couple things. Number one, it, you were, they were the best and brightest. So you would you get some smart kids, right? You, you just you'd get them and you, you plug them into your kingdom and it's kind of the, the leadership pipeline. Also, these were the people that would start a revolt. If there was gonna be a revolt, they would say, hey, that's the old king's son or that's the old governor's son. Or, and they would, so you just take them and, and then there's no one to start the revolt back in the land. So, so that's what was going on. And, and our heroes for today are some of these guys who were carted off back to Babylon. So I want to read you verses 3 through 7 of, of Daniel chapter 1. It says this, then the king that is Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said, and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve the royal palace. Just as an aside, how cool would it be when you get to heaven and you meet these guys and you're like, you know the Bible said you're good looking? Like, I mean, that's, do you put that out on a yard side by your mansion in heaven? I don't know, I would, but that's probably, Jesus is still working on me. Anyway, where were we? Uh, middle of verse four, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all of them from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Now, these stories in Daniel, they have all the, the things that we look for to make a good kid story. They're kind of short, they have a lot of action in them. They wrap up with a pretty happy ending. And so we tend to clean these stories up and put them, make them little chapters in your kid's Bible. So somewhere you've got at least the fiery furnace, the last story we're gonna look at in, like in your kid's Bible. But what that does is we have to clean it up a lot because we put it in a kid's Bible. But make no mistake, this was a horrendous ordeal. This is, this is a nasty process. These young men were captives. They were slaves. Their nation had been conquered. Their homes were destroyed. They were almost certainly orphans because their family was killed, murdered. They were carted off to a foreign land. And this reprogramming that they were going through was not optional. It wasn't like, hey, we got a spot for you in Babylonian University. It was like, we got a spot for you. <laughs> You're going, right? This is not, this was a, this was a horrendous thing. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I noticed that the dehumanizing effect of this is hinted at in the renaming process. You guys all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but did you realize it's really the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? 
They had different names. And their names all glorified God. Daniel's name means God is my judge. But when Daniel got to Babylon, they gave him a new name, Belteshazzar, which means Bel, who is the chief Babylonian god, Bel's prince. Daniel's name meant God's my judge. And he got to Babylon, they said, no, you belong to Bel now. Hananiah means God has been gracious. But his name was changed to Shadrach, which means inspired or illuminated by Rak, the Babylonian sun god. You used, to, you used to be called God is gracious. Now you belong to our sun god. Mishael means, I love this, who is what God is. What a great name. Wouldn't that change if every time someone came to you and said, hey, how are you doing? Who is what God is? Who's like the Lord? Who is what God is? They, re- they renamed and they weren't very creative. They just made it who is what the, the Babylonian goddess Shaq is. They, didn't, they just, just changed the, you used to be who is what God, the one true God of Israel is. Now you're who is what Shaq is. We just, we just substituted our own God. Azariah means the one God helps. Abednego means servant of the shining fire. Each of their names honored and respected and celebrated the one true God. But when they got to Babylon's, their na- Babylon's, when they got to Babylon, their names were taken away, changed, and corrupted, so that they were given new names that lifted up pagan foreign gods. The purpose of this was to completely wipe out their history and their identity. It didn't matter who they were or where they were from, they belonged to Babylon now. It didn't matter. The empire had come. And what I want you to see is that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah needed each other because they needed someone who knew their real name. They needed to be around people who knew who they were, who knew what they had come from, and who remembered the God that they served and honored. And so this morning, I want to tell you that, you need to, that we need to do life together because you need someone who knows your real name. I don't want to pretend to you that the pressure or opposition that we face today is anything like the pressure that these young men faced in Babylon. It's simply ridiculous to even suggest it. But have you noticed that the way of Jesus is totally upside down compared to the the kingdom of the world that we live in? Loving your enemy doesn't make any sense if you don't know that you're loved and forgiven and completely accepted by Jesus. How can you afford to give love to your enemy? if you don't have God's infinite love coming to you. Forgiveness looks a lot like weakness in the world we live in. Grace, mercy, humility, gentleness, honesty. These feel like liabilities rather than strengths in our world. Living like Jesus is so unlike uh, the, is, is so unlike, uh, there it is, there's the words. <laughs> Living like Jesus in a world that is so unlike him can be disorienting. And we need people in our lives who remind us of our real name. We need to be around people who understand what it is to be committed to following the way of Jesus, even when it doesn't make any sense. We need to be around people who know our stories, people who can speak into our lives and encourage us, people who can remind us of our true identities. You need someone who knows your real name. And we need people who can remind us that we celebrate the one true God, not all the other things that set themselves up as gods in our world. I believe that our world is full of people who will be more than happy to give you a new name, one that suits them and builds up their kingdom. But you need someone who knows your real name. By the way, you can find a bunch of people like that in life groups, which are small, in-home small groups that meet on the second and fourth Sunday night of the month. That's a place where you can find those people, coincidentally. Part two, after a bit of a rough start, 
Daniel and the boys, if you want to know the story, it's fantastic. Read the first four chapters of Daniel when you get home. I don't have time to do it all. But Daniel and the boys, they managed to do pretty well. Um, as a matter of fact, the end of chapter one tells us this. Uh, it's verse 20. It says, whenever the king consulted them any, or on any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel and the boys, they honor God and it works out for them. But pretty soon things take a turn for the worse. So King Nebuchadnezzar has some disturbing dreams and he calls on his magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers, kind of the, this is the varsity team that Daniel and his friends are, are still the JV team on, right? He calls for them and he asks them to tell him what, what his dream meant. He says, tell me what I dream and tell me what it means. And they say, sure, King, you tell us your dream and we will tell you what it means. And he said, I don't think you heard me. Tell me my dream and tell me what it means. And they are in trouble. King says, if you can't do that, I'm gonna have all of you executed, all of you killed. Tell me what I dreamt, tell me what it means, and I'm gonna, or else you're gonna be executed. So this is chapter two, starting in verse 10. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. I'm going to stop right here and just tell you, this is the other sermon that I would normally preach here, but I'm just going to, do you see what they said? No one except the gods can tell you, and they don't live here. Did you know the Bible's one big story? I love in, in Matthew, when, at the Christmas story, and they say, Jesus is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Did you know that's been a problem from the very beginning? Back in Genesis, the problem was we, kick, we, we asked God to leave us alone, and he was like, okay, it's a bad idea, but, right? And ever since then, we've been saying, God is not here. That's the problem. Even the pagan astrologers knew the real problem is God's not with us. God's not here. And Jesus showed up and said, I'm God. I'm here, right? So I just, that's, that's, the, that's the normal sermon here, but we're just, I, couldn't, I couldn't escape it. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arak, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arak, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arak told him all that happened, and Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what his dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what had happened. And he urged them to ask the king of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of, Bat of Babylon. Again, there's a difficult situation that's come up for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king was perfectly willing to ask his advisors to do the impossible, and when they couldn't do it, have them all killed. You thought your boss was bad. Now, I think, I think there are two possibilities, kind of what's going on here. Either it could be that the king realized that all of these wise guys were manipulating him, and he was like, yeah, if I tell you the dream, you're going to make up something, and you're, you're, you're moving your own kingdom forward. Like, he could have realized, these guys are manipulating me, and I just want a clean slate, so I'm going to tell them to do something impossible, and when they can't, I'm going to kill them, and I'll just start over could be that's what was going on. It could be that he just cared so little about these people that if they couldn't do what he thought on a whim, he was gonna kill them all because he just didn't care about them, right? They were just property to him. Either way, our four friends get caught up 
in this story. They're about to be killed through no fault of their own, and the only way out is an impossible task. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah needed each other because they needed someone to pray with them in the face of the impossible. The only way for their lives to be spared was for God to do a miracle, so they called on each other to pray. We need to do life together because you need someone who can pray with you and for you when you face the impossible. You probably aren't going to be executed by a mad king today or this week, but it's highly probable that you are going to face some difficult circumstances today, this week, this month, this year. And some of you are sitting in the room right now, I know because I see you, and you are facing something that appears to be all but impossible. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It could be that someone you know and love did something stupid and that brokenness is spilling over into your life. It could be that you did something stupid and that brokenness is spilling over into your life. But a lot of times it's just because the world is broken and that brokenness spills over into our life. Whatever the reason, whether you can put your finger on what caused it or not, you face something that if God doesn't intervene, you're not going to make it. We need to do what Daniel did. We need to go to our friends and ask them to pray. You need people. You need someone who can pray with you and for you when you face the impossible. By the way, did I mention that on the second and fourth Sundays of the month during the school year, we have in-home small groups where you can gather together and tell your story to people and they can know who you are and they can pray with you and for you? I just wanted to mention that again if if I forgot to say something. So God tells Daniel... Uh, that's, that's part two, part three. God tells Daniel the dream and the interpretation, and the king is so impressed that he makes Daniel ruler over all the province of Babylon. He sets him as the prime minister, as well as chief of staff of all his wise men. So Daniel pulls some strings and gets uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah some, some sweet jobs running the province of Babylon. And that, that works out well. But once again, things go wrong in our story. So chapter 3 opens with King Nebuchadnezzar setting up a giant 90-foot golden statue. And then he, in, he invited all the people to come, right? And you can imagine by now, you know a little bit about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, hey, you should come to my party. He doesn't mean you should come. He means you're coming. It doesn't matter what's on your schedule. You're coming, right? So everyone's going to come to his party. All the officials are going to come to the dedication. And then he issues this decree that whenever various musical instruments are played and the Bible lists some of them. I think one of them was a banjo, Roy. I think that's, which explains why I have that visceral reaction to banjo music because of this story. But anyway, that's, I I think you have to read it in the Hebrew and even then it's unclear. So anyway, whenever the musical instruments are played, everyone has to bow down and worship this statue that the king has set up. And and obviously this is going to be a problem for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are servants of the one true God and the law forbids them from worshiping any other God or worshiping any images set up as a God. This is a clear no-no for them. And so the degree explained that if anyone doesn't bow down to worship the statue, they'll be thrown into a flaming furnace. Again, Nebuchadnezzar, crazy but creative. Sure enough, the musical instruments play and everyone bows down and worship the image that it's set up, except Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now imagine if someone showed up at your job and this week they're just learning the ropes and next week they're in charge because somebody did a favor and then they're breaking the rules. You'd go to your boss and say, hey, a wonder kid over there is not doing his job right and you love Jesus you'd still do that right so pretty quickly the wise men and the astrologers they see Daniel the the Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are not bowing down and they go report it to the king right away 
Didn't take too long for this to get to the king. So then we read in chapter three, starting in verse 13. It said, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, here we, we get fully embraced their Babylonian names, be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you the sound of the musical instruments. I love that he still had the band play. He wasn't like, well, you just, like, no, the band's gonna play one more time. He could have been, he could have been an evangelist. The band's coming back. Anyway, I just equated Nebuchadnezzar to an evangelist. This is why I have notes. Read the notes, okay. Focus. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God is able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, I love what they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve will be able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. This did not make the king feel any better. He was furious, and he had the furnace heated seven times hotter than before. He had Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah tied up and thrown into the fire. The Bible tells us that the furnace was so hot that the men who threw him in were killed just from getting that close to the furnace. But then, verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Some translations put that looks like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Boy, his attitude has changed. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, and the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not, was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had a difficult choice to make, and they clearly understood the consequences of their choice. They either bowed to the demand of the king or they would be cast into the fire. And they understood that God could save them from the fire, but they had no assurance that God would save them from the fire. But they understood that bowing to the king's demand was never an option. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah needed each other because they needed someone who could face the fire with them. They needed someone to walk with them in the fire. That was Jesus' job. But before that, they needed someone to face the fire with them. They needed someone to say, we will never bow to your statue. Right, guys? Right? We're not, we're not doing that. Oh, I thought I saw you flex there a little bit. I was a little nervous. Like, you know, I mean, this is a big-time call. They needed to have some people with them to say, no, we're not. We're not doing that. This is who we are. They needed someone who would face the fire with them. We need to do life together because you need someone to face the fire with you. Have you ever needed someone to face the fire? I mean, not the literal fire, that's probably never happened in your life, but have you ever needed someone to say, we will never do that, right? We're not doing that, right? 
You needed someone there to say, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Have you ever faced a choice that was clear, was clear what the right thing to do was, but it was also clear that it was going to cost you something? Aren't those choices a little bit easier when you have someone standing with you to say, yeah, no, we're not. We're not doing that. doesn't matter what that costs. We're, we're staying faithful. Look, God never promised you that if you trusted him, that everything would be great. God never said that if you served him and had a, a lot of faith or even a little faith, nothing bad would happen. As a matter of fact, the Bible is full of stories that tell us just the opposite. But God does make a lot of promises to us. He does promise that, that he will never stop loving you. He does promise that he will never leave you. He does promise that when you seek him, you'll find him. And he promised that, that if you put his kingdom first, he'll take care of you. And he promised that if you admitted your sins, he would forgive them and wipe them away no matter how bad they are. God promised a lot of things, but he never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes God allows difficult things to happen. Sometimes obedience is costly. That's why you need someone who can face the fire with you. By the way, did I mention that on the second and fourth Sundays of every month, we have in-small, on-home small groups where you can gather with people who know your name and your story and they'll pray with you and for you. And when you face a difficult decision, they'll come around you and say, hey, this is where we're gonna live. Remember, we're, we're gonna do life together. Shameless plug. Real quick. One of the places that we can do life together is in life groups. Life groups are in home, small groups that meet on the second, fourth Sunday of the month during the school year. Next Sunday night, we're gonna have a picnic. We're gonna have our kickoff for life groups. Life groups haven't started yet, but we're gonna have our picnic next Sunday night at six o'clock. So come here to the church. If you're not part of a life group, come. Join us, you'll have a chance to sign up. You'll have a chance to be a part of a life group. You'll have a chance to see it. We want, we think this is really important. If you're a part of a life group, come and celebrate with your life group and let's all join together and talk. And there's gonna be ice cream. Uh, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, if, you, if you are interested in leading or hosting for a life group, would you make it a point today? There's gonna, you're gonna have these cards tomorrow or next Sunday night. You're, they're out there, at the, but this card is our life group sign-up card. If you're interested, I need more leaders and I need more hosts, I need more life groups. So if you are willing to, would you fill this out? And then the bottom there, there's a box that says, that says, I would like information about hosting or leading a new life group. Would you check that box? And then you can give it to them in the information booth. If you, have, if you put a check mark in that box, you can come hand deliver it to me and I will, I'll kiss your ring. No, that'd be weird and creepy. I'll just say thank you. Like, we, we need more people to host. So if you're interested or available in, in learning more about that, check that box and get this card to me right away, okay? So life groups are happening. Be a part of it. But let me tell you one more thing. Because life groups are great. But do you know what makes life group great? They're where we connect to Jesus. I said this. I said, you need someone who knows your real name. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 2.17. He said, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some hidden manna, and I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus knows your real name. Like your real name. Like the name that he has set aside for you from the beginning of eternity and he made just for you and will be your name for the rest of all time. You need someone who knows your real name. Do you know who knows your real name? Jesus. I said we, you need someone who can pray with you and for you when you face the impossible. 
Hebrews 7.24 or 7.25 says this, therefore he, that is Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Romans 8.34 says this, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Jesus forever intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God right now pleading for you. You need someone to pray for you. Jesus is always praying for you. We said that you need someone who you can face the fire with. You, rem- you might remember I said they, that is Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, needed someone to walk in the fire with them. That was Jesus' job. We sang about it this morning. We sang, you've been my fourth man in the fire time after time. That's this story. That's what we were referencing. There is good reason to believe that that fourth man in the fire that King Nebuchadnezzar saw was not just an angel, but that it was Jesus. And theologians get real fancy about pre-incarnate, experience of God like but it was Jesus before he put on a, a, a body he came to say no they need me because Jesus has always been about rescuing people listen to what God said in Isaiah 43 too he said when you go through deep waters I will be with you and when you go through the rivers of difficulty you will not drown and when you walk through the fire of opposition you will not be burned up the flames will not consume you you need someone who can face the fire with you And you need Jesus who's willing to walk in the fire with you. I often say to people, I don't know why God has asked you to walk the path. He's asking you to walk. I don't don't know. But what I do know is I know that God is going to walk with you. Because Jesus walks in the fire with us. So here's how we're going to finish today. I just want to challenge you and and then pray for you. If you're trying to do faith alone, Get connected to people. Get in a life group. Get in a, a, a ministry group. Get in a, a Sunday school class. Get in a group. You need people who know your real name. And you need people who will pray with you and for you. And you need someone who can face the fire with you. But if you're trying to do life alone, you need Jesus. Come and send or surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. And he will fill you and he will meet you. And when I talk about, I like, I believe in life groups. I like, I, I believe in them. But man, the only reason they're important is because they do what, that they connect us to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, will you come find one of us, one of the pastors? Just ask someone at the information desk. Can you tell me someone who can tell me about Jesus? Don't do life alone. Don't do faith alone. Find people to connect with. Find people to love and to be loved by. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we, we recognize that we need each other. We recognize that we need you. And so we ask you as we, as we live life, as we journey, as we face the challenges and the opposition and the trials, as we, as we experience joys and, and, and wins and, and your life and your love, would you set us in community? Would you set us together? people who really know us, who know our real names, people who can pray with us and for us, people who will stand with us as we face the fire. And Jesus, would you come and fill us with your grace and your mercy and your life? And I pray today, if there's anyone hearing this message 
who hasn't surrendered their life to you yet, that even now will say, Jesus, I need you. That's what I want. I want someone who's going to not relieve me, someone who really knows me, someone who will, who will intercede for me, someone I can trust, someone who will walk through the, even the most difficult places. Jesus, would you come and fill us and rescue us and make us whole? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And thanks for being with us this morning. Remember, there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you any less. He already loves you more than you could possibly imagine.